The Sermon on the Mount, 19, Enemies. In number 18, Retaliation, we looked at Jesus' words on not exacting vengeance or punishment on those who wrong us. He tells us that if we'll even do more than they expect, if they force us to go one mile, we go the extra mile, we are bearing witness of our Christian faith, and we even disarm them. Of course, that can win people over. So even if one who asks or demands of us has impure motives, uh, we're still to give. These are not easy things to take on board because the modern church has become so worldly. All right, let's continue. Verses 43 to 47 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? That's our text. Jesus tells us to actively love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us. Now, Jesus is not teaching against the Old Testament here. Because the Old Testament says, love your neighbor, you know, Leviticus 19.18, but it never says, hate your enemy. In fact, there are a number of examples of passages in the Old Testament where love is shown to enemies, or God even commands that. Although it's a different system. I don't want to get into a false comparison. But Jesus is correcting the common practice of hating one's enemy, which certainly applied uh, to his Old Testament people, and is a temptation facing us today as well. Um, I would like us to, again, look at some of the early church writers, uh, very respected people who shared their views. None of them uh, says that it's okay to retaliate or to hate your enemy or to even kill your enemy, because the witness of the early church is 100% pacifist until the 4th century. Justin Martyr, the philosopher turned Christian from Samaria in the 2nd century, mid-2nd century, wrote, We used to hate and destroy one another. We would not live with men of a different race because of their peculiar customs. However, now, since the coming of Christ... We live, we live intimately with them. We pray for our enemies and endeavor to persuade those who hate us unjustly to live conformably to the good teachings of Christ. So he's saying that he not only prays for the enemies, but tries to persuade them to become Christians. And there's so many comments like that. Now, the question I know on many people's heart is, what about war? Particularly if you've never heard that warfare is not consistent with the will of God for an individual Christian. Uh, we should look at that. And again, this is not a commentary on, or even a, a program for a government to follow. Governments are governments, that's different. But Christians uh, need to always obey the commands of Christ, whatever their uh, job is, whatever they 
fit in society. So let me give a few, um, I think, very powerful quotations, and there are many more. In fact, I'm not even reading everything that's in my notes, as you'll see. Justin Martyr writes, We who formerly murdered one another now refrain from even making war upon enemies. Clement of Alexandria. It is not in war, but in peace that we are trained. Tertullian. We willingly yield ourselves to the sword. So what wars would we not be both fit and eager to participate in, even against unequal forces, if in our religion it were not counted better to be slain than to slay? What a thought that it's better to be killed than to kill. He also says the Christian does no harm even to his enemy. Now, I don't know how you can fit that into the normal military agenda. The whole point of, of, of opposing the other army is to do harm to the enemy. Cyprian, that great North African leader, wars are scattered all over the earth with the bloody horror of military camps. The whole world is wet with mutual blood. And murder, which is acknowledged to be a crime in the case of an individual, is called a virtue when it is committed wholesale. Impunity is claimed for the wicked deeds, not because they are guiltless, but because the cruelty is perpetrated on a grand scale. What he's saying is basically this. You can't just go out and declare someone your enemy and kill them. You can't murder your neighbor. You, you, you're going to go to jail for that. Um, but what if you have thousands of people being told it's okay to kill? <laughs> it's organized by the government, paid for, sanctioned. Then there's impunity. That's inconsistent. Christians must not reason that way. Lactantius, how can a man be righteous who hates, who despoils, who puts to death? Yet those who strive to be serviceable to their country do all these things. When they speak of the duties relating to warfare, their speech pertains neither to justice nor to true virtue. So Lactantius is reminding us, this is around the year 300, that uh, when we kill enemies, that involves hatred, uh, despoiling them, you know, seizing their property and putting them to death. And although this is uh, framed in language of duty and patriotism, it's neither. It's not just. It's not real virtue. One more from the Dirache. If you love those who hate you, you will not have an enemy. <laughs> That's some very great wisdom. So the early church was amazing. But of course, things changed. Things changed and Jesus's teaching was lost. I'm not saying that there were never any Christians from century to century who understood it and who were peaceable and refused to kill, uh, but it was certainly lost among the majority of churchgoers, but it was also not taught or ignored by the vast majority of church leaders. There was a Roman soldier an historian. He never became a Christian. A very famous guy, Ammianus Marcellinus. Usually we just call him Ammianus. And this, he's writing after Christianity became legal. He was actually born a few years after uh, the state took an active interest in, uh, in Christianity, where Constantine presided at the Council of Nicaea, 325. So Ammianus is writing a couple generations after, and he speaks of the rival Christian parties whose 
hostility towards each other exceeds the hostility of wild beasts. I think the exact quote was something like this. There's no hatred like the hatred of Christians. It's so painful. When we were meant to be known for our love, but Christians began to persecute believers of different opinion. Eventually, of course, they persecuted the Jews and Muslims 300 years later when Islam came on the scene and justified all kinds of things. So Ammianus puts us to shame. Are you still not sure? Well, the Apostle Paul, God is teaching from Jesus. What does he say in Romans 12? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, and so forth. Never avenge yourselves, beloved, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Paul tells us that we should even feed our enemy. Imagine in warfare asking your commanding officer for leave. I'm just going to go over to the enemy lines. I've made them a picnic basket because I know that they must not be eating a lot because of the current military actions. Can you imagine that being accepted? In fact, that would be treasonable. I mean, you could be executed uh, for wanting to give aid and succor to the enemy. There's a well-known martyrdom story in the second century. You may have heard of the martyrdom of Polycarp. Polycarp was a church leader in Smyrna, in what is today Western Turkey. And he was martyred, and we have his letter. But when he was arrested, um, he first insisted that food and drink would be brought to his guards, to the soldiers who were actually escorting him to execution. That's someone who took uh, Jesus and Paul's words very seriously. We're to do good to our enemies. And you notice it's not just enemies. We're not allowed to fall back on the rationalization that Hey, I, I love my brothers. I, you know, I love my family. That's not enough. Uh, we need to go far beyond that. John Chrysostom, amazing uh, man, said, you should feel grateful to an enemy. <laughs> Listen to this. On account of his wickedness. This is so even if he's evil to you after receiving from you 10,000 kindnesses. For if he were not exceedingly evil, your reward would not be significantly increased. See, Chrysostom is thinking about our reward in heaven. You may say the reason you do not love him is because he's evil. However, that's the very reason you should love him. Take away the contestant and you take away the opportunity for the crowns. Now he's very much looking forward to the eternal reward. Well, what happened then um, in that disastrous fourth century? And this is not a history lesson. But after, uh, from Constantine on, all the emperors but one 
seem to be favorably disposed towards Christianity, even professed to be Christians, but they continued to kill their opponents, even family members, and to wage war, and they simply ignored the teaching of Christ. At first, Christians, as they always had, refused to fight when they were commanded to. Um, and soldiers who became Christians, because especially the second century, a lot of soldiers were baptized. They always refused to kill, even if it meant their own execution. But in time, the state church relaxed its teaching on non-resistance. And so eventually it would become illegal not to kill. Whereas before, you would have been put out of the church for killing, um, even in a legitimate army. Now, if you refuse to kill, uh, you're, you're a bad person, a bad Christian. And eventually, Augustine, this is around the year 400, uh, he was a, a Christian leader in North Africa, also in the town of Hippo, came up with a rationalization that defends vengeance and war. He says, as long as deep in your heart you really love them, it's okay to kill them. Oh, wow. So no surprise that we, in the Middle Ages we had Christian Europe fighting and killing, and you have so-called Christians waging war against Muslims and pagans and fellow Christians and persecuting heretics, torturing people, and oppressing the weak, and all of it done in the name of God. And even after the Reformation, 16th century, Catholics and Reformers persecuted real Christians who refused to go to war, people who spoke out against torture and oppression. So something happened in the 4th century, but we don't have to live in the 20th century or the 15th or the 11th. Let's go back to the first and take seriously what Jesus said. So I have some suggestions of practicals. And first, the Lord wants us to act lovingly towards enemies and strangers and people we don't like. Now, I know it can be hard sometimes to act lovingly towards people we love, even our own family, people who live under the same roof. But Jesus calls us to go way beyond that and to love our enemies. Next, it could be useful to take some time after this lesson to compare the teachings of Jesus with the teachings of Paul. I think you'll see they match perfectly. Then I would encourage you to learn some early church history. Learn the story of how the church came to embrace the teaching of the world regarding many things, but especially in this issue of, of enemies. Next, refuse to take any credit when we're acting decently and kindly to friends and family. We're supposed to do that, but everyone does that. That's normal behavior worldwide. What shows the uh, character of our faith is how we behave towards enemies. And last, if you're disturbed by any of these thoughts, these thoughts that I've shared in this and the previous lesson, please take some time to go over the scriptures and to pray. And tomorrow, We'll, be, we'll talk about Jesus' command to be perfect, what that actually means. It's the final verse in chapter 5. Lord, be with us today. Help us to internalize the principles of your word, to take Jesus' word seriously, and to obey him, especially when it's hard. People are difficult. I'd rather not love irksome people. I'd rather not support my enemies but you call us to act in grace. You make your rain fall on the 
righteous, the unrighteous, the sun shines on the wicked and the good alike. Help us to be in that same way, lavish with our love and really caring for others. We pray in Jesus' name.